Welcome back to the Cycling Tips Podcast, everybody. I'm Kaylee Fretz. It is Monday, March 28th, and we have a fantastic show for you because we had some fantastic bike racing over the weekend and lots of other interesting things to talk about. Abby Mickey, you're really pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> 33 weeks. Telling us she doesn't know. In fact. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm, I'll be gone for like six weeks. They won't hear well, me. Well, that's, that's, why, that's why I was bringing it up. Because you at some point in the near future are just going to poof, disappear off mm-hmm. into newborn land. Uh, and we don't really know when that's going to be. So, you know, maybe every show between now and that point will just bid you adieu just in case. Uh, and you'll be back at what? Like the... Well, Tour de France Femme, right? That's the that's the plan. That's your return. That is the triumphant plan. return. Hopefully, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see how the first month and a bit goes. But yeah, just so everybody's <laughs> aware, we're going to lose Abby for a little bit. We won't, however, lose Shoddy Dave, who's not pregnant. Who's <laughs> not even a little bit pregnant? No, I do feel how like. I do feel a little bit pregnant when I'm riding the bike at times. At the moment, I'm not getting out anywhere near as much as I am. want to. And I'm eating far too many um, biscuits. And <laughs> <laughs> hey James, how are you today? Uh, you know, I always say that, oh, I, I should say I frequently say that I'm feeling kind of sleepy, but I'm like legit sleepy today because I was up until 1.30 last night. Oh, why? Writing this damn script that I have to record later at the video studio. <laughs> oh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Why? Why? <laughs> why? Because because I can't just like babble on about something I saw on TV the other day. I actually have to like like put thoughts down on paper and like like organize things. It's like like weights and like all this other crap. And are you uh, saying that we just babble about things that we saw on TV? <laughs> yes. You guys see the Oscars last night? Uh, I heard. Oh, I, saw, I saw that. I saw the one clip. Hmm. How about that? Was that was that a closed fist hit or an open? I think it was open, open fist. I think it was open it was it was a slap. It yeah. was a slap. Yeah. Okay. A- after that, my wife turned to me and said, "I would like you to not slap anybody for me, please." And I was like, "Well, I might if they disrespect you. What if I have to slap somebody? <laughs> Sometimes a man just got to slap somebody." Anyway. Uh. Let's get it. <laughs> Violence is never the answer. That's not though true. It was impressive. No. Wow. <laughs> no, I'm a, I'm a real big non-slapper. Um, let's get into let's get into this episode. Let's get into this episode. We've got lots to talk about. We've got Volta Catalunya, where many things happened, including uh, some kind of scary stuff with Sonny Cabrelli. We've got the men's Bruce de Pena, which was scary in many ways and hectic. Uh, women's Bruce Depena, where the current, the reigning world champion showed once again why is so damn good and why I think her sort of rivalry with Lorena Webus is, is, is growing, which I, I love. Love a, good, lo- love a good rivalry in cycling. And then E3, which was an excellent race and another ridiculous Jumbo Visma showing. We've got the women's Kent Wevelgum with a extremely aggressive SD Works. And finally, near the end of today's show, the men's Kent Wevelgum and Miniam Gourmet. One of the best stories of the spring thus far. We're going to talk all about it. So let's get into today's show. Abby, we don't need to go through every stage of Catalonia, but uh, let's, let's sort of hit the big points here. Now, first and foremost... 
couple big days for Aussies, right? Yeah, it was a really great start to the week for Australians from multiple different teams. Um, Michael Matthews won the first day stage. Caden Groves took his first world tour win on the second stage. And then Ben O'Connor had a really impressive breakaway and win in the mountains on stage three. So three Aussies back to back to back to back winning stages, which was really great. Um, especially the Caden Groves stage win was impressive because bike exchange Jayco had a rough day that day with, Simon Yates going down in a crash. And so it was only Michael Matthews and Groves going into the finish together. And Matthews set up Groves really well for the sprint. And it was a it was a very impressive sprint finish. So that was one of the major talking points coming out of the race. I was just going to ask, is this a transition point? Is this an inflection point for Michael Matthews that he turns into a lead out man? Because he's been sort of top sprint dog at in the Aussie crew for a long time. Is this, is that now changed? I think it's a one-off. I think it, I think it really depends on the type of finish because Matthews very convincingly won the first stage, but the finish was very different. It was a steep uphill kick into a flat finish. Whereas the stage two finish was just a flat technical, but flat run in to the line. So it totally depends on the, on what the course looks like. And the first stage just fit Matthews really well. And the second stage, he was happy to hand over the reins to Groves. So maybe it's changing in that he won't be a pure sprinter, but he never really has been. So it's not that big of a shift, I don't think. I think it's going to be a bit like what Alps and Phoenix have. You've got that two, two-prong attack, haven't you? They've got um, Phillips and Tim Miller. And they can go into a race and work beautifully together and have everyone guessing up to the line who's going to take, who's going to be the sprint, who's going to be the lead out one. And I can see Bike Exchange doing exactly the same. Makes a lot of sense in, in many ways. Uh, it was just interesting to me to, to, to see him drop into that sort of, well, drop into a very effective lead out role shortly after he had just won a stage. But of course, it's the rider, you know, green jersey, the Tour de France, et cetera, et cetera. And I just wonder if, if, you know, at some point, sprinters do tend to, Mark Cavendish accepted, they do tend to sort of tilt in that direction, right? Like Mark Renshaw won a fair number of sprints early in his career and then pivoted into being one of the best lead-out men in the sport's history. And I I, yeah, I just wonder what, what Matthews is going to be up to. Because you're right, like he's never been a pure, pure sprinter, but he's been, he's won a, a fair number of of pretty fast, you know, flat run in style sprints. And if he's going to hand that over to Caden Groves and for, like, for example, is, is, is he still going to go for a green Jersey at the tour and things like that? I, I yeah. But if Dane was here, he would tell you that the green Jersey is in for the sprinters. Yeah. Which is really annoying. <laughs> <laughs> but Dane and I can have that debate yet again, sometime in June, <laughs> which, which I feel like we do every year. Uh, so an awesome, awesome Catalonia for the Aussies. I know we've got a we have a pretty big Aussie contingent that listens to this podcast, despite these days a distinct lack of Australian accents. And we do apologize for that. We should we should try to get some of our Aussie colleagues back in. The problem is, uh, while we record, it's like uh, it's like one o'clock in the morning or something like that for them, which makes it a little bit difficult. Yeah, but Let's you know they're, they're all up having a, they're having a tinny or two, aren't they, mate? A what? <laughs> a tinny or two. <laughs> 
Oh, a beer. Ah, yes. yes. <laughs> Sometimes I do. I get. I get very. I get Slack messages at very strange times from some of them. So wouldn't surprise me. Well, maybe we should talk briefly about the winner of Volta Catalonia, Sergio Igita, who took the victory off the back of a breakaway win. Right, Abby. Yeah, so what was really interesting about the general classification was that on stage five, there was some big names sprinting for bonus seconds, including uh, Nairo Quintana. And then on stage six, Sergio Higuita and Richard Carapaz took off in a breakaway together, and the two of them rode to the finish, and uh, Carapaz took the stage, and Higuita took the leader's jersey, and he was able to hold on to that jersey through the stage seven Barcelona circuits, which is always a very exciting day of bike racing. Kind of a bummer that it overlapped with two Gent-Wevelgems, but yeah, Higuita, who has been riding for the EF team but is on Bora Hansgrow this year. Pretty big win for the Colombian rider. And I've been speaking to a couple of lads on the Bora team when I was up at, uh, for Paris, Paris Nice and they say they're all ridiculously excited about getting him on board this year. Not purely just because of his talent but they all can't wait to get to the bigger races when um, the Colombian contingent of fans rock up. They're just uh, they're excited to see how mob the bus will be like they're all like yeah it's gonna be brilliant we just want to see this craziness that we've seen at other teams previously they are they are i think the best fans in professional cycling i think that's, easily although like the, the eritreans depending on the on the race and sometimes when you show up and there's you know a large like eritrean population nearby in some city they can also be fantastic and we'll talk about a bit more eritrea later in yeah, the show. Yeah, I don't know if anyone noticed the guy at the finish of Gent Wevelgem wearing the Eritrea jumpsuit. Yeah, there it's great. super like I I still remember the Eritrean contingent from the World Championships in Richmond in 2015 cuz I guess there's a relatively large uh Eritrean sort of emigre population near Washington DC and there was just like hundreds of them outside the hotel every morning. It was awesome. Anyway, yeah, Ikita's one of those Riders who, I mean, Jonathan Vodders was always talking about him as, 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 well, he was a rider who could win so many different types of stages. I feel like half the time that I would talk to JV about, hey, who's, who's your guy for today? Even just sort of like casually, you know, you run into somebody at the bus in the morning or whatever. Who's your guy today? Sergio Higuita. And I'm, I'm sure that one, EF is sad to have lost him. Bora is probably very excited to have him because he does, he's one of those riders who can make it over almost any climb and win a lot of little sort of small group bunch sprint style finishes. So he never quite sort of lived up to what I think EF was hoping for him through lots of different reasons, but maybe he will finally do so at Bora. He's a really, really interesting rider. And of course brings the massive Colombian contingent along, along with him. And relatively young. He's, he's only 24. Um, and before we move on to talk about Cabrelli, which was a huge storyline out of the first stage and kind of followed the race throughout the week, um, just worth, worth mentioning that the the other riders that were kind of in contention for the general classification before Carapaz and Higuita rode away on stage five, it was um, Almeida and Quintana who were really fighting for that GC. And Carapaz, thanks to the breakaway with Higuita, ended up second in the general classification with Almeida third. There was a 
good amount of riders who left the race early due to sickness yet again, as we've seen in many, many of the stage races so far this year, including uh, Jack Haig, Wow Pools, Mike Woods. Yeah, just a lot, a lot of illness going around the Peloton and it's not, not ended yet. So uh, Catalonia definitely took a hit early in the week. So this wasn't an illness, but um, a pretty scary, actually a very scary moment. Sonny Cabrelli collapsed at the finish line of stage one. Abby, where does this stand at the moment? What do we know? What has the team said? Where is Sonny Cabrelli right now? What's going on? Sonny Cabrelli collapsed after getting second to Michael Matthews on the first stage of Catalonia. Like I said, it was a pretty challenging finish with a really steep uphill bit that Richard Carapaz really tried to tear the Peloton apart and then a sprint to the line where Matthews took the stage, but Cabrelli was second. And soon after the stage, he collapsed and had to be defibrillated, which was understandably very scary. He was then taken to the, taken to the hospital in Girona, which was pretty close to the stage finish. And they did multiple tests afterwards that had quote unquote, no signs of concern, which seems, you know, if you have a cardiac arrhythmia at the finish line of a bike race as a professional athlete, that seems like a sign of concern in itself. The tests that they did at the hospital were inconclusive and Cobrelli returned to Italy one day ago as of recording. So Sunday um, or this weekend for further testing. But as of now, there isn't any conclusive reasoning for why that happened. He did have bronchitis prior to Catalonia, which is why he missed the Milan San Remo a week ago. But yeah, I think that Shadi, you've done a good amount of research into these kinds of things. Well, I, I had to, uh, as people might not have mentioned it before, I'm epileptic uh, and it's fatigue induced, but it only I only got started becoming epileptic around about the age of 21. You can grow into it. And the, the doctors didn't know what the problem was. And back then I was racing full time and they, they initially thought it was a, a heart problem. So um, I've, I've experienced with knowing how it feels to, for people to think yourself to think that you've got a heart problem and it's going to stop you from racing. I I had to have a, a heart rate monitor implanted underneath my skin for three months so they could track what it was doing and then track what it did when I did have eventually have a fit. Uh, and it's, I suppose I was too young back then to realize how serious it was. But then if you, yeah, you can you you can die from it. We've seen it before. Thirty three year old Belgian rider Michael uh, Goulartz back in twenty eighteen died while racing Paris Roubaix, if uh, people might remember, and that was from heart problems. Roman Sicard last uh, retired from cycling last year because of the same problems as well. Um, hope I'm actually going to try and reach out to him because he's, he only lives in the next, well, two, three villages away from me. Um, so yeah, it's, it, it's, I know for a fact that he's not allowed to go above something like 120 beats per minute. So that, that instantly puts you out of doing pretty much any strenuous, uh, activity. So hopefully, um, in this situation, it, 
it is something to do with the bronchitis. Um, it'd be, it'd be a massive shame, to, a massive loss to cycling to see him go, considering he's really sort of just recently stepped up to the game with a, a win at Paris-Roubaix last year. Yeah, I mean, it, the thing is, it could be so many different things, right? And none of the four of us here are doctors. Uh, I definitely am not a doctor. I, I do know that like myocarditis, carditis, which has been linked to COVID, there are lots of viruses that can cause it, right? And so like the bronchitis, whatever whatever that ca- caused that could also have maybe short-term done some, done some heart damage. You know, arrhythmias are a... Well, they're, they're, they're a sort of constant storyline in, in elite level sport. Um, I mean, you know, our friend and colleague Leonard Zinn over at Velenews has had a number of, you know, essentially surgeries, uh, ablations to, to try to fix heart arrhythmias. And even to this day, I believe is still not allowed to get his heart rate up particularly high over about 120, like you were talking about shoddy. And, um, you know, as a result, like has built this really cool e-bike for himself so he can still go do rides out in the mountains in Boulder and, um, I have a really good friend, Owen McGrath, who had a, a an ablation a couple years ago for the same thing. Like basically his, you know, he would he would kind of ride hard. And when he would back off, his heart rate would just keep going and it would just keep going and going and going up at like, you know, 200 plus beats per minute. Uh, That's sort of like an electrical issue. Anyway, it could, it could be a million different things. And we don't we don't actually know what it is in in Sonny Cabrelli's case. Yeah, but it was just it was just a. It was just a terrifying moment. I, you know, I think any any fans of um, soccer slash football. So Christian Eriksen had a, a a moment in Euro twenty twenty last last year where he literally collapsed on the field and had to get defibrillated uh, on in sort of the, on the soccer pitch uh, in the middle of a game. And he actually just came back to playing a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I believe he had a some kind of pacemaker installed, but he's like you know back running around playing soccer at. at you know, at Premier League level. So these these issues, there's so many little details. There's so many different things that can go wrong. Some of them are solvable by modern medicine, like in Erickson's case. Some of them, like you were talking about, Shadi, are, are not at this point. Or Leonard's, Leonard's ongoing sort of heart problems, which they've tried at many different things and are not. So, you know, I think that all we can do right now is just hope that that Sonny Cabrelli's fall in the former category, that he is sort of able to get fixed up and come back. Because again, like you said, Shadi, he's he's only recent recently found that sort of world-beating form, right? Perry Roubaix win for him was all of last season for him was absolutely massive. And it would be a huge loss for the sport if he can't come back and race at that level again. So yeah, that's all we can do is, is hope, hope that he's gonna be okay. Can I just jump in? If the people are uh Wanting to do a little bit of research, then they can't go any. For, they can't go any. They can start with Leonard Zinn's actually got a book out called The Haywire Heart. I've had a read of it and it is it's really good. Yeah, it's about basically the, the tagline is how too much exercise can kill you and what you can do to protect your heart. So yeah, if people are out there concerned, going through the same thing, maybe um, hit up one of the bookstores and see if you can pick that one up. Yeah, that's a Velopress book actually, which is now part of. The outside family, I believe. So I think, I think if you're an Outside Plus member, you get a free book. I don't know. We're not totally tied into Outside Plus yet. We will be eventually. <laughs> but at some point, if you're an Outside Plus member, I think you get a free book. Maybe that's the one you can go get. Go do that. Well, moving on from Sonny Cabrelli, again, you know, we just we we just hope that he's gonna be 
back to his bike race winning self soon, and we'll keep you updated on the podcast with with how that's going. There was a lot of other racing over so the end of last week and last weekend. Uh, we don't need to spend a ton of time diving into the tactics of Bruges de Pena, both the men's race and the women's race. But Abby, we did want to talk about how scary the the finishes were. Uh, there was a great screenshot. I forget. Did you send it out to the the CT Slack that was just the peloton in like three different groups on three different roads heading into a roundabout because it was just utter chaos. Tell me about it. There was one. Yeah, there was one point when they came up to a roundabout and a, the group kind of split into three and there was a line of riders on the the cycle path next to the highway with with grass in between them and then a high a lane of the road and then grass and then the other lane of the road and riders were everywhere and that kind of summed up Bruges de Pena. I mean this is a super interesting race because it's it's pan flat it's on the coast of Belgium and usually there are significant crosswinds that com- that split the peloton apart but this year there was no wind at all which meant that for both the men's and the women's races, try as hard as they might try to force breakaways. No teams could um, split the peloton apart. So when it came to the finishes, it was basically the same size peloton they started with, which the race has not experienced, at least in the recent past. And it meant that the the finishes, a pretty technical city street circuit that it was it was really dangerous uh so there was a lot of crashes in both races and for the men's depend it was won by merlier in a pretty close sprint with D- dylan grunewagen coming in second a very very close second and for the women's race it actually did it was a sp- there was a huge split in the Peloton due to a crash. And so there was only, I think nine who came into the finish together with a couple seconds, like one, two seconds to the next group. Elisa Balsamo won her second world tour race in like three days, <laughs> four days, which was pretty impressive. She outsprinted Lorena Weeps to take that victory who had a broken spoke. I don't know the, the severity of the broken spoke, but as I said on freewheeling, I don't know how much that impacts your sprinting, having a broken spoke. I don't know if you watch mm. the sprint, it's actually, she just like positioned herself better and sprinted faster, in my opinion. It, I mean, it, she's probably, on, is she on disc brakes? Gotta be. Yeah, probably. If she's on disc <laughs> brakes, then the um, then it makes less of a difference. Because the, the only issue would be if it, if it threw the rim out of true and you'd be up mm. against the, it would hit the brakes, basically. I feel like I just missed a prime opportunity to make a Depana flat bad joke. Alas, you can still do it. Sorry, would you say it was Depana flat, Abby? Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was going to be way better than that. No, no, that that's all it was. Okay, <sighs> that's Dave Rome. Dave Rome would be very disappointed in you, Kelly. That's, that's the best we've got. That's all we've got today. <laughs> it's eight o'clock in the morning. <laughs> uh, I mean, is this? Like, is that, is it, are they finishes that need to be fixed or was it just because it was to pen a flat and not windy and so that it stayed all together? It was just because, it, I mean, the finish has been more treacherous in the past and they've already changed it and it's safer than it used to be. But it, it's, I think it was just because there was no wind in a race where there is usually a significant amount of crosswinds and, so it was a little bit more dangerous than usual, but 
if Ronan was here, he would go on a rant about how this is the craziest race on the calendar. So I think that that's me coming from a women's cycling point of view. The men's side, I believe, is a little bit of a different situation. Should we move on? Yeah, we can move on. I have to, I have to say, Depenna just doesn't doesn't get the blood flowing for me. It's just, it's just I don't know why. I just I forget it's going to happen every year, and then it happens, and I'm like, oh, that happened. That definitely happened. I will say that Tim Merlier looks looks to me like the best sprinter uh, in cycling at the moment. That's that's the vibes that I'm getting from him, and I think that I think that he's going to do some special stuff uh, at some of the bigger races later in the year. But let's move on to. E3, named for Belgium's most scenic highway. That's not true. It's just named for a highway. It's the E3. <laughs> the, the best highway in Belgium is that one where you're halfway along it, there's that massive statue of that naked cyclops. <laughs> it's, every, everybody who's been to Belgium has been down that motorway will know what I'm talking about. But there's a huge, probably... Well, I'm saying 20 foot plastic statue of a Cyclops nude. I think that's the, is that the E17? Is it's that, a, that's the it's one, a that's dangerous the road. road. <laughs> it's the road you take from Ghent down to down south. So you take it, if you're staying in Ghent, it's the road that you take to get to, well, everything like Finnish of Flanders, Udenard, et cetera. You know, well worth a detour. There's also, there's also the, the dribbly. Okay. The dribbly, okay. Let's get um, into the race. Jesus. But there's the dribbly phallus somewhere down that near. We don't have time for this. Kelly, weren't you just saying that we kind of need to move things along here? Yeah, No, we got to talk about the dribbly phallus first. No. I can't remember what road that is on either, except for the fact that I pass it on the way to the finish of the Tour of Flanders. We'll be going to Roubaix, though, which would be fun. Kaylee, wrap anyway, it up. let's move. Jesus. Wow. Okay. Okay. We'll move on to E3 here, which is always an excellent race. Again, named after a highway, which is just great. This year, yet another, yet another dominant, absolutely dominant Yumbo Visma display, uh, particularly with Christoph Laporte and, and Wavenert. They cross the line together, arm in arm, hands up. Uh, I have an issue with this. Which is that Christophe Laporte has has is having the spring of his life right now. He has he's the one that drove the uh, the one two three Yumbo Visma victory not too long ago. He is the one that escaped with Wat van Aert at E three, and yet Wat van Aert, who has won everything under the sun, took the victory at E three. And I thought that was rude. I thought he should have given it to Christophe Laporte. First, he's the first Belgian to win in like many 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 years so it was a big deal yeah but christophe laporte is having like the the best season of his career and doesn't get to win very much why do why wouldn't you give it to him marketing that's all i'm saying i'm guessing i'm guessing somebody at jumbo was on the phone and was like give it to the guy in the uh the, the stripy jersey not the team jersey yeah what do you guys think i mean should should he have handed it off to the Laporte? I think they should have raced it. I think they should have raced each other. I mean, in that case, Wavenert wins anyway. So maybe that's why they gave it to him, right? We've seen we've seen rat teams uh, with breakaways with like two, three riders. Well, two riders usually from the same team r- racing it out before. Like Garzelli and Bettini at one of the early spring classes many years ago when they were both on Mappe. Bet Bettini won that one. 
And then, of course, oh, no, at the tour, they didn't do it, did they? It was um, the two Ineos riders who escaped me uh, memory at the moment. Kwiatkowski and... Um... Kwiatkowski and Carapaz at the Tour yes. de France. Yeah. yeah, which was great, which was great. I mean, like, Laporte, just, just for... It, I think it would have been his biggest win. I'm looking through his list of wins here. Uh, he won Trobro Leon back in 2018. He does have a fair number of wins. He's got 22 professional victories. But most of them are in smaller races. You know, Circuit de Wallonie, Tour de Limousin. Uh, he, did, he won a stage of Paris-Nice uh, this year. And, you know, Etoile de Bessege, Balois Belgium Tour, Tour de Vendée. Like, this would have been a huge win for him. And I, I don't know. It, the, 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 the sappy, sappy guy in me. Just hoping that, that Wout Van Aert would be like, teammate. You have been amazing for the last couple months. You should, regardless. Well, Van Aert, Van Aert said himself after the race that there was still a lot of races to come and that Christoph will get his chance in not the, those exact words, but he, he did say that, you know, hopefully Laporte will get another shot. And I think based on how he's been riding this spring that I will not be surprised at all to see him up there again. I mean, um, quick step alpha vinyl have been, uh, have spoken about how Yumbo Visma is currently just uh, outrageously strong in these, in these one day races. And they clearly are because not only did they have Van Art and Laporte up there, up the road, they also had Tish Minute in the chasing group behind. So it was, they had, you know, they're good. They're very good. So I, I feel like, yeah, well, it would have been Laporte's biggest victory ever. I think he'll have another shot. Hope so. It Maybe he sad. wins Flanders. Could be. I mean, that would be, yeah. Uh, but the problem is he has to drop off on to do so, apparently. So that <laughs> seems unlikely. Uh, plus, Matthew Vanderpool looks really scary at the moment. He always looks kind of scary. Scary athlete. Now, one of the other storylines to come out of E3 was this changing of the guard, right? Uh, now Ronan wrote a great piece, <laughs> Bob Dylan themed piece over the, over the end of the line, right after E3 about the changing of the guard. And specifically that the riders that were up front and again, E3 is, is it's a mini Flanders, right? Like that's, that's kind of the whole point. And the riders that were up front were the new generation and the riders who were very dropped. And I mean, very dropped were Peter Sagan, Greg Van Avermaet, Nikki Terpstra, Stebar, all past winners of E3. And they were not anywhere to be seen. Now there, you know, there could be individual mechanical issues and things like that, but it, it did feel like a bit of an inflection point between the old and the new, you know, we, we still talk about Peter Sagan, a bit like he's going to be a contender. Greg Van Evermatt will occasionally pull out a, a great ride, right? Nikki Terpster hasn't done anything in a little while, but he's still there, thereabouts. It feels now like this new generation is is so much better than than essentially the old guard, right? Is are we seeing a full changing of the guard right now? I don't know if it, we're seeing a full changing of the garden. I think we did get a glimpse of this in 2021, but there's definitely a crop of new riders coming through that are really impressive in these spring races. I mean, Van Art, Mohoric, 
are a couple of them, obviously Laporte, but we also have Benham Germay, who we will talk about in a minute. Rasmus Tiller, I mean, Tish Benut, there's like a huge chunk of riders that are just getting way better. They're coming into their own on the Belgian cobbled roads. It seems dramatic, I think, just because we've had so long with the same handful of riders winning races. And now all of a sudden in a race like E3, which is a indication of what's going to go down at Flanders in a week, um, they were nowhere to be seen. I think it's, you've got to look at teams as well. It doesn't, it seems to be not just the riders changing the guard, but teams definitely seem to be mixing it up a lot more than they used to be. It's not the, it's not the same stale old teams taking the wins. Like we've, we've seen that over the past couple of years as well. Like the, like the pro tour teams, they're really stepping up to the game this year, really stepping up to the game. A lot of it will be down to the new relegation system. Like they're all going to be going out, hitting it hard early on, but it's showing that there is a bunch of guys in the peloton who do have good legs, who, who are someone to look, people to look forward to, to the future, not just this year, but three, four years down the line. Yeah, these there's a lot of riders long in the neck now, isn't there? But I mean, yeah, it's a Sagan dropped. I, I'd be very surprised if we see much, much of him this year at all. But that team has really stepped up the game this year. It's a real uh, double-edged sword. Rumor has it Sagan will not race Flanders, I believe. Yeah, that's the one that's floating around lately. But like, you know, Anthony Turgis, who who, who was second uh, at Milan San Remo, is from that same team, right? So, you know, they hire they hire Peter Sagan and, and his whole entourage and and guy that they had last year is still their, their best finisher at MSR, right? Yeah, it just it feels like feels like I think Ronan's right. I think there's a bit of a changing of the guard happening. I mean, this is this is what happens, right? It's, it's a little bit sad because it's it's big names that we've been watching for a very long time and have enjoyed following. Uh, but you know, that's, this is just the, it's the nature of the game and, and all these riders feel unbeatable until suddenly they're not. And that is, that's exactly how this works. So, well, and, and sort of one final point about, about this is that the, this old guard could sort of make the excuse early on in the season that, oh, well, Flanders and Roubaix are still a ways away, but now it's not, <laughs> it's a week. Right. And E3 is one week away from the Tour of Flanders. And so, frankly, if they're if they're not primed and ready now, they are not primed and ready. And so it'll be interesting to see how how this weekend goes down. I would I would I wouldn't put any of that that list of names that I said earlier in more than about a one star category, whereas you've got the these younger generation. That's a bunch of three, four, five star kind of kind of favorites. So. Anyway, speaking of changing of the guard, we've got a bit of a changing of the guard in the sprinting world, the women's peloton, and that was on display at Ghent Welvogum, right, Abby? Yeah, it was a really interesting race because um, you have this team, SD Works, formerly Bulls Dolmens, that has been really, really dominant for many, many years at this point, especially in these spring races, and they're in a little bit of a transition period where they don't have a sprinter who can contest these big bunch sprints. They are missing a little bit of firepower, but they still have some really, really incredible riders. And coming into Ghent-Wevelgem, the course is slightly changed. There's some the the climbs are were quite compact into the race and then there was a long stretch before the finish so 
all the teams showed up with their top sprinters and SD works went at the race like, okay, we don't have someone to contest the bunch sprint. Lonica Unikin is very, very good, but um, cannot really win against Weebs and Balsamo. So they threw everything they possibly could at this race. I mean, they were attacking relentlessly for 30, 40 kilometers and nothing stuck. It was basically single-handedly Ellen Van Dyke who kept the Peloton together for a bunch sprint. The only time where it looked like somebody might slip away is when Grace Brown attacked in the final couple of kilometers, but they did manage to bring her back and it came down to a bunch sprint. And we saw Elisa Balsamo, who's just been unreal this season, win her third world tour race in eight days and win arguably the one of the biggest results of her career, obviously not counting the world championships, but uh, compared to the other two races she won last week, Gen Wevelham is way bigger than Binda and Dapana. And also all three races were raced very, very differently. And yet she was able to win, to win all three of them. So it's, she's obviously a very young rider. She's been at the top for a while, but kind of hovering there and her being on Trek Segafredo. I mean, I said it in an article this morning, like Trek Segafredo must be pinching themselves that they managed to pick up this rider because they obviously don't have Lizzie this year. They don't have Ruth, two of their better riders from the last two seasons. And Elisa Longo Borghini is not riding as well as she used to, but it does not matter because the fact that they have Ellen Van Dyke and Elisa Balsamo is, I mean, they're dominant at the moment. Talk to me about the rivalry between her and, and Weebus. Like, I mean, Weebus was... was it felt like she just won sprints whenever she wanted to for a little while there. And that does not seem to be the case anymore. Yeah. So Lorena Weebs is this really interesting rider in that, you know, she's on this team DSM and they don't often take her to races that she's not going to win. And that means that when you look at her first cycling stat sheet, she's won a lot of races that she's entered. Um, and this year in particular, she started off the year looking completely unbeatable. I mean, she won, uh, Ronda Van Drenta really impressively. She won the next, the next, I can't remember the smaller race that happens in the middle of the week. Um, that it's not a world tour race, but she basically seated in a seated sprint, just like rode away from everyone, multiple bike lengths. So she's this incredible, incredible rider who, you know, looks like the best sprinter in the Peloton. But in the last week, we've had Balsamo just not come out of nowhere, but basically uh, be like, I've heard the talk of how Lorena is the best sprinter, and I'd like to counter that with these three results. <laughs> and so um, Depana was the, the first time that, or the second time this season that they've come up against each other. And the first time Weebs won, and that was Ronda Van Drenta, and the second time Balsamo won, um, and in like a pure bunch sprint finish, not not any with no climbing beforehand, no breaking of the peloton, and I do not count the uh, the Vanberg, the trash heap that they climb in Ronda Van Drenta. 
So it was really interesting. And then Weebs, who I think was a favorite going into Gantt Webblegam, especially considering the the riders who have won it in the past, which have been mostly sprinters, um, she she didn't finish, unfortunately, because of a crash. So we didn't get to see them go head to head again. But they definitely are a rivalry that is really, really fascinating because there are not that many women in the peloton that are pure bunch sprinters besides the two of them. Um, and I think both of them are good at other things. I don't think that they're like a Mark Cavendish at all. It just doesn't exist in women's cycling, but they're definitely the closest thing to it. Can I ask you a question now, Ab? As we know, yeah. there's a, there is a, there is a, rain, the rainbow curse in the men's peloton. I'm guessing there doesn't seem to be one, at least this year, but has there previously been one? Um, I don't think so. It's definitely not on show this year, is it? Yeah, I I think that every single world champion that we've had on the women's side has won at least once while in the rainbow jersey. There has been the odd winner who won, like take Chantal Vanderbrook Black, for example. Uh, She won in Norway, I believe, and she's usually a, a domestique style who every once in a while gets the opportunity to ride for a result and succeed. So she would have probably won less than say Van Vluten, who obviously is one of the best women cyclists in the world, slight cyclists in the world. And, uh, Anna Vanderbregen, who also won a lot in the rainbow Jersey. So I'd say that it's, um, maybe just because we have, less depth on the women's side the women who usually win the the rainbow jersey are women who win all year round it's less of a crapshoot uh than the men's side of the sport also mess peterson he defied that rule right he won he He won won a bunch yeah yeah there's been plenty that have defied it but i think a lot of it's down to the off season for the men but i think we we could save Mm. that for another another uh chit chat on the pod yeah, I think we should talk you about mean, the men's Gent Webblegem. I think we I think we should. For for obviously for more on the women's Gent Webblegem, head over and listen to Freewheeling, as always. Now, the men's Gent Webblegem was was a phenomenal race. Uh won by and we did tell you to keep an eye on this individual after his ride at Milan San Remo, won by Binyam Gourmet. Uh the first black African to win a spring classic of any type, I believe. Huge moment for cycling, huge moment for Gourmet. He is a massive, massive talent. So he won it out of a, a, a small group sprint. Shadi, talk me through it. It's, it's simple. It was absolutely blinding. He, he came from, I think it was Last Man, was it? And he just straight over onto the right-hand side of the road and, and just completely opened a gap straight away. His speed, his jump was just just as impressive as it was at the Worlds uh, in the under-23 category. Um, and nobody could nobody could catch him. Laporte slowly closed the gap, um, but was, again, probably a good half wheel at distance to catching him on the line. But it was just the, the speed, the acceleration, the way he held it was just... Yeah, it's world class performance there, and obviously with a world class performance, it's it it's hard to 
take anything away from him. It's unbelievable. Absolutely beautiful to see. Yeah. And like we said, he, you know, he had that great ride at MSR. He's done a, a number of really impressive rides sort of throughout the winter, plus that really great ride at Worlds. We've kind of seen this coming, right? He's a very young rider. He's still 21, I believe. Uh, one of the youngest riders to win Gent Wevelgem in quite some time. And I think that there's going to be a lot more, a lot more coming from him because he seems to have this ability to get over climbs pretty well. He's not a he's not a particularly big rider. Not a particularly big rider, but 70 kilos. So, you know, uh, not not tiny, not little climber type, uh, but also not as big as some of the real classic stars. And it seems to be able to get over small climbs and then has this pretty unbelievable kick to him. Now, he's not racing. There, there was much discussion after the after the race uh, as to whether he would sort of stay in Europe and race the Tour of Flanders this weekend, which is not was not on his calendar. He's not going to do that. He's gone home to Eritrea and he's going to come back for the Giro d'Italia. He's going to go home and prepare for the Giro and come back. I'm I'm personally a little bit sad about that. Uh, although I'm not sure that in the longer, harder Tour of Flanders that he would actually contend just yet. I think that in the future he will. But there is a big difference between Gent Wevelgem and Flanders. And in particular, there's some quotes from, from Gourmet after the race that indicate to me that the Tour of Flanders is probably not as of yet uh, really in his wheelhouse. And in particular, he was talking about how he was distanced a number of times as they would go up some of the, the cobble climbs in Gent-Wevelgem. And frankly, like you can, you can kind of get over that in Gent-Wevelgem, right? You can, you can, the groups come back together. You can make up for that deficiency and still make it to the finish line. That's not going to happen at the Tour of Flanders. You really need to, to be able to excel on things like the Claremont and things like the Paderberg. So I don't think he's quite Flanders ready yet. So maybe he's making the right call going home and coming back for the Giro, try to win some stages of the Giro. But I cannot wait for a couple of years from now when he has sort of fine-tuned that skill set and is, is well, does an entire spring classic season because he, he looks like an absolute classic star of the future. Or of now, I guess. That team will go into the Giro so hyped up as well. After last year, they took what I think was it two, two or three stages last year at the Giro, and then going into it with a sprinter such as him, they're going to be absolutely gunning for it. They've had a and they've had a really good start the season. Anyway, what amazes me about the team though is it's I'm amazed they've picked him up. It, it's really surprised me that it it it's not usually a team such as such as a, a lowly World Tour team that would sort of see the talent. It is a very, very Belgian setup, very sort of um, scrappy. And to pick a talent like that, see it and pick it up, and pick it up before any of the other major World Tour teams is an absolute coup for them guys. He signed through 2024. So yep. in theory, he'll stay through 2024 and the team is a world tour team. So it's not like a, it's not like he's on a pro Conti team. Yeah. I mean, even just, just looking at, at Gourmet's results over the last couple of weeks, there's, there's really very few of the classic stars who have had a better spring than him. I mean, you know, Wapenaert is certainly one Christopher, Christopher Laporte is another two riders on the same team, but there's the, the list is small. I mean, he was 10th at Milano Torino, 12th at Milan San Remo, 5th at E3, and then wins Gent Wevelgem, plus a bunch of top 10 finishes at Paris Nice, 
he's had a, a pretty phenomenal spring already. You know, I'm I'm fully expecting him now to come back and win at least at least one stage of the Giro d'Italia. I think if he if he heads home, gets big training block in, comes to the Giro, I, I don't see any reason why he can't win at least one stage of the Giro. And you know, that's gonna place him in in the absolute upper echelon of 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 professional men's cycling, right? He's gonna be in the sort of top 10, 15 riders in the world at that point. Uh at 21 years old. So yeah, just a super talent. You go you go home with a win like that. You on top of on top of your game, go home, have an awesome time with your family. You're not missing your family. You've not gone back after after having your head kicked in, have you? You've gone back with a win. Your family are all behind you. It is gonna come back fresher than ever. It's it's gonna be awesome, the zero. The there were rumors that he was going home because of a visa issue, but um our colleague Johnny Long uh, contacted his team and that's not why he was going home. It was just always the plan for him to go home. But interestingly, he's got, he did a, an interview with Jose earlier in the year where he talked about his family and, and how important they are to him. And his wife and daughter actually can't get visas, um, to Europe, which is part of the reason why he, he has to go home is not because his visa, but because of his family's visa. And I was actually talking to Tom's about this because his teammate, um, Sabu, who's I'm, I don't think I'm pronouncing his name properly, but he's on bike exchange now. And he had the same problem when he first signed with a European team is he couldn't get his family visas to come over to Europe, which is, yeah, it's, I chatted with, uh, Ronnie Lauka of the, Canyon SRAM team a week or a couple weeks ago about their generation team. And they're having a ton of issues right now, trying to get, um, a couple of their riders over to Europe because they're, they're trying to get them visas and the embassy is like, think they're trying to sex traffic these young African girls to come over, (laughs) um, when they're actually, you know, coming over to race bikes. So that's kind it's kind of an interesting, it is a hurdle that a lot of that all of the European men do not have to deal with. Yeah, and it's it's a big issue across a, like well most of Africa, right? Some Rwandans have had similar issues. Um, I mean, Eritrea is also, to be blunt, like not uh, the most free and open country in the world. Uh, ranks right near the bottom, you know, down in sort of North Korea territory for press freedom and things like that. Um, so, uh, you know, there, there are that, that only compounds the issue with trying to get athletes into Europe and in particular athletes, families, um, you know, you would hope that, that the federations could work together on that and, and work with the government authorities. And, and clearly this is a, a valid reason to be in Europe and, and he's there, for his profession and should be able to bring his family and things like that. Uh, but yeah, it's just, it's a, it's a very, it's a very complicated situation and, and an unfortunate one for Gourmet and his family. It's like you said, but I mean, that that's, that's a big part of the reason why he's going back. If he can't bring his family uh, over to Europe with him, I mean, that's, that's essentially, it's been the end of the career, the end of a career for a lot of non-European riders, even, even Americans who just don't want to fly back and forth, don't want to leave uh, partners, back home whether that's for visa issues or because they have a you know they they have work wherever they're from or or whatever it is it's a, it's a long standing issue and it's uh well it's it's essentially an equity issue right it's 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 if you are born in Europe 
you have a much better chance of having a long and successful cycling career than if you're born anywhere else on the planet um, for multitude for many, many, many reasons. Uh, and frankly, like, you know, the riders that are currently coming out of Africa have it probably the hardest of, of anybody at the moment. So hopefully they can figure that out. Uh, it would be a real shame if visa issues hamper Gourmet's blossoming career in any way. Not his own, but like his family's, which are, let's be let's be clear, very, very important. If you can't get your partner over and your child over, that's going to affect your bike racing. No question at all. So hopefully they can sort that out. We're talking about Belgium here, a Belgian team in Belgium, winning in Belgium. There's there's going to be phone calls make high up in the government with some mad government cycling fan who's going to get the old stamp out and get it all sorted. You'd think, wouldn't they? Hey, man, yeah, no problem. There's the visa. <laughs> get any Mercs in the case or something. I don't exactly. know. Uh, <laughs> get somebody who can push this to the highest levels of the government. Does... Does Belgium have a government yet? They didn't for a couple of years. I don't know. I don't follow Belgian politics particularly close, but I, I think they didn't before, have a government for like four years. I think before we dive into just like two more news points and also the nerd nugget, uh, I, I just want to mention how exciting the last 30, 40 K of Gant Wevelgem was because the there was a, a solid, you know, 20 minutes or longer where you didn't know if these four riders that were off the front were going to get caught or not. Um, it was really, really, really close in the end. And there was some really interesting tactics going on for multiple different teams. And overall the whole race was, was pretty exciting, even though the, the, the most exciting thing was the winner, but there was also some interesting stuff going on, um, before that moment happened. Yeah, unfortunately, we don't really have time to get into it today. No, we don't. We don't, uh, we, but it's worth we've, mentioning. We've packed this podcast full of things this week. Uh, let's 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 move on. Uh, so two very quick, well, three very quick little news bits here. One, Egg Bernal is back on a bicycle. If you follow Cycling Tips via any sort of social media, I believe our social editor, Mike, posted some of this over the weekend. And you should, by the way, you should follow us on Instagram and whatever else. Uh, that's amazing to see. And that's sort of the extent of that little news blurb there. We just would just, this is great. Bernal is back on a bicycle. Uh, we didn't think that would be happening anytime soon. And, and so to see him riding, not particularly fast, obviously, but that does not matter. Uh, he is back on a bike and enjoying himself. So that is awesome. Second little news bit here. Uh, the UK has sanctioned... Oleg Tinkoff, who, well, if you've been following the sport for a couple of years now, you will remember the Tinkoff Credit Systems team. Uh, and Oleg himself, who was a, a interesting personality. Uh, I kind of miss him as a reporter because he would say all kinds of crazy stuff. <laughs> he made lots of stories for us. Uh, but he has just been sanctioned by the UK government due to the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Uh, Tinkoff has said numerous times that he is not an oligarch. He posted a, an Instagram post quite early in the war and, and was anti-war in that Instagram post, uh, to his credit. Uh, he also says that he, you know, sort of the definition of oligarch is basically take advantage of the privatization of, of, st or, uh, of, of state entities. So like oil and gas and things like that, that were under the Soviet Union. He says he didn't do that. 
I am not super up on Oleg Tinkoff's, uh, you know, business history and story. Um, but if the UK government says that he is sanctionable, then then I think that we can sort of nod to that. And anyway, he has been sanctioned. Finally, uh, Tony Martin has auctioned or is auctioning his silver medal from the Olympics for Ukrainian children. Uh, this is awesome of Tony Martin. Uh, well, we've got a story up on the site you can go check out, and it has a link over to where you can bid on Tony Martin's silver medal. And he is sort of the latest in a long line of, of pro cyclists who are doing various things for those in Ukraine. Lachlan Morton raised over $200,000 with his ride from, was it Munich to the border? Uh, Yaroslav Popovich has been just doing all sorts of amazing things, organizing people in, in Italy and in Poland and, and sort of all, basically any country that borders, uh, that borders Ukraine that isn't Russia or Belarus and, you know, helping out refugees and getting food and getting first aid and things like that to the Ukrainian border. Yaroslav Popovich has been amazing on that front. So yeah, lots of, lots of cycling connections to the, the, well, the war effort, basically. As of speaking, that silver medal's at 12 grand. That's euros. So yeah, dig deep. Dig deep. Bid, bid high. If you've got, you know, 15 grand sitting in your pocket and you want a silver medal, go bid. <laughs> like I said, uh, is that, is that this, why I'm so uncomfortable sitting here right now? Is because I've got, I've got 15 grand in my pocket. Is that, I, oh, that's, that's, oh that, that's so much better now. I pulled that out. Okay. <laughs> Come on, James. You're not supposed to walk around with that much money in your pocket. You know, no, it, it's, I don't, I don't. It, it's all in crypto. We're good. <laughs> uh, I have $1 in Dogecoin. And it, I, I, so I get notifications when it goes up and down and it turns into like a dollar and six cents and 97 cents and things like that. I just, it's my little enjoyable it's thing. It's time for morning. Nerd Nugget. Nerd alert. Nerd alert. Nerd alert. Nerd alert. James. Vinny Gourmet. One on Tubeless. This is becoming more and more common. What can you tell us about it? Uh, well, I reached out to Continent, Continental uh, about this uh, just to see if I can get a little bit oh, more information. We do, we do. It's like it's we, we, it's the daily shot I re- or the weekly shot I report that we don't get from that anymore. Anyway, uh, so Gourmet was on uh, supposedly a 28 mil wide GP 5000 STR, that new tubeless ready kind of faster rolling tubeless tire that they that they introduced very recently. Um, and supposedly, this is still a little bit confusing. The information that I got from Continental is that um, the Actual width on the on the on the reference rim that they use is uh, closer to what the old GP five thousand TL twenty five mil was. So that tire used to measure a little bit big, uh, but anyway, he was on a twenty eight mil GP five thousand STR, which has been really really popular this year. Um, we did a recent uh, we did a Nerd Alert podcast recently, uh, Dave Rome and I, with um, Josh uh, Portner from Silka. And it was a couple of years ago, Josh had told us that he was guessing that within five years, basically the whole Peloton was going to be on tubeless and just two, three years in or something, we're a pretty good percentage of the way there. And not only are, not only are an awful lot of teams and riders on tubeless, but a lot of, a lot of races are being won on tubeless already. Josh's, uh, Josh's crystal ball is clearer than most, I will say. He's got I, more I'm going to say he's got a little bit more of an advantage, though. It's not so much a crystal ball. He just he just already knows what's going on. He's like, true. 
Yeah, he's like hired as a consultant to a lot of these teams, and so he's already telling them. He's just so he's making the prediction, and then he tells them to do it. <laughs> so yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, he's, that's... <laughs> he's like an inside trader. Yeah, he's inside trading on on tech predictions, but nonetheless, uh, pretty fascinating to see the the overwhelming takeover of tubeless and and it does feel like by the end of the season and into next season it's going to be just everywhere right there there's definitely still some teams that don't have sort of the right products available to them but it feels like if they did that they'd all be on this right yeah i mean because ultimately all these teams care about really is just going faster right um and we've, we've talked about this a bunch before it's no secret that tubeless clincher setups are heavier than uh the old traditional tubulars um but it's you know going fast isn't just about weight um it's unless you're on like the absolute steepest pitches or you're really concerned about being able to make that lightning fast jump on on a climb uh that sort of thing most people are still just going for the numerically faster choice now which is turning out to be tubeless so we'll see more and more of it all right we've gone long today Hope you had a long commute or something. No, I hope you didn't have a long commute. That would be mean. If you had an I hour. I feel so sad for James. <laughs> I feel like we should move right? the nerd nugget to the beginning of the show. We could do that. But then he can't but, like right. drop in randomly with like a really great one liner every once in a while. So. <laughs> <laughs> How about this audience out there? Audience out there. Do you take pity on James? Do you want us to move nerd nugget to the beginning of the show or you take no pity on James whatsoever and you want us to leave it at the very end so he gets to sit here for an hour in his cold basement and then finally talk about tubeless for like five minutes. You let us know. Tweet I'm, at I'm us. Gonna, I'm going to guess a lot of people are... I'm going to guess that putting something out like that is is not going to generate a whole lot of sympathy for me. <laughs> <laughs> James, you just have to come at us with like better one-liners just every once in a while. Or I should watch the racing more often. No. <laughs> that would help. I don't want you to change who you are. No, I yeah, did, you don't I, need to watch Spike Racing. I, I did watch Supercross on Saturday and 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 the the, the F one race on Sunday, so we can talk about mm. that. the F one race was really good. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the new aerodynamics where they can actually like follow each other around. Yeah. Cool. Anyway. Well, thank you so much for listening. We'll be back <laughs> later this week to talk about. Wait, wait, wait. James and I are going to have an F one podcast now. If you wanna if you wanna listen to James and I talk about F1, uh well then we don't I do pity that. you. So, <laughs> <laughs> also don't really know enough about F1 to make an F1 podcast. I just you know, I just like the motor sounds. Vroom, 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 vroom. Oh my god. We're out of here. <laughs> we we should mention that we'll be back later this week. So we haven't forgotten that the oh, Tour yeah. of Flanders is coming up this weekend and we're all very excited. And we will do a special episode up on Friday about the women's and men's Flanders. I'm taking we over are Kaylee's super, job. We're super excited. Abby is a far better host than me, so we should just let her do it anyway. Uh, <laughs> yes, we have we have uh, our new hire, Johnny Long. Uh, if you're a Velical member, you saw an email from me about bringing Johnny on. You've probably seen his, uh, his byline, uh, which is the author name on some of his stories already in the last couple of weeks. We'll get Johnny onto the podcast sooner than later. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, he's headed to Flanders this weekend along with Ronan with his giant leg contraption. So hopefully he can, I don't know, get that across the border. Uh, That's going to be very just, awkward going through the x-ray machine. Yeah. 
You just know he's going to try and use it to open beer bottles, don't you, while he's over there? He's going to see how <laughs> good it is. I I told him it was entirely up to him whether he wanted to go or not, and he wants he's to give it a go. He's about it. Oh, my pretty God, you guys are ridiculous. It. I keep trying to end We're this We're still podcast. going. We've got an extra five minutes of nonsense here. All right, we'll be back. <laughs> we'll be back with a special, a super special Tour of Flanders, Ronde van Vlaanderen, preview episode end of this week maybe we'll even call up johnny and ronan that sounds like fun yeah that'll drop i think uh u.s friday is is the goal and then obviously the, r- the race is on on sunday all right we'll be back on friday thanks for listening everybody Bye-bye. bye-bye bye-bye bye bye